All right, well, I'm super excited to do this again and be here with you. I'm also very nervous, um, but I know that God is with me and his word is, uh, it's all his word and it's for you. Um, I do want to give a shout out today because Sarah Good is not here. She's usually back in the back doing tech and she's also our youth pastor and today's her birthday and she's 30. She's finally joining the realm of kind of being old. Um, <laughs> so happy birthday, Sarah. I hope you're watching. We love you. Um, uh, go ahead and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, number one, the rain. What a blessing that is with the fires and everything happening, Lord. And I thank you for the privilege of being in your presence, that we get to worship you, that we get to be with you in a communion with a God who loves us. Lord, I pray that your word with, would resonate in our hearts today, Jesus, and that you would touch our lives with it, and that we would get to see a glimpse of who you are, the character of you, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, we're doing the Psalms, and I was trying to figure out which one I wanted to do, because they're all fabulous and amazing, and it's hard to pick. And um, I get this subscription called Dwell, and what it is is there are these little temporary tattoos that stick on, and they help you remember Bible verses, because I have a hard time memorizing things, and I really just wanted to get to where I'm memorizing scripture. And so it sends you a little temporary tattoo, and you put it on, and I would just look at it and, and practice it throughout the month. And the one I had this last month was on Psalm 116. And somebody's like, well, why don't you just do that one for your sermon? I was like, ah, well, maybe, I don't know. I want to keep looking. And I kept doing my devotions or um, reading different books. I like to read, as you can tell, I brought a few with me. And this Psalm 116 just kept popping up in the most random spots. I'd be scrolling Instagram and see like a t-shirt that had Psalm 116. And I was like, okay, Lord, all right. My last sermon was listening to the voice of God. So I'm like, okay, this is the one that I'm obviously supposed to be preaching on. So we will be in Psalm 116 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. For me, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in this psalm. But what really stuck out to me, and, and the verse that I had was Psalm 116.7, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And so I found myself pondering that term rest. What does it mean to rest in the Lord truly? And so I felt like with this, and in, in listening to God's voice in this, we can experience grace through answered prayer and resting God's goodness, and that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. Um, this psalm is broken up into two parts. The first part is verses 1 through 11, and this is going to be the psalmist's response, or the Lord's response to the psalmist's prayer. I'm going to go ahead and read this. I'm reading it out of the CSB version. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless, and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said, I'm severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. This psalm, the psalmist was, the ropes of death were wrapped around him. It could be a literal death. Maybe he was very ill. It could be figuratively. Um, For me, it resonates with a time when I was um, not living a life according to Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted the Lord at a young age. But several years ago, I decided that the world sounded much more enticing. And I decided that I was going to party a lot and drink a lot and do whatever I desired that I thought was fun. And my marriage suffered because of it. Uh, I don't know if I'll get through this story without tears, so I'm warning you. Uh, And my husband and I separated. We had Danny at the time, but she was super little. And I moved in with my parents. And uh, I was just continuing to go out and have a fun time. And uh, my choices, even though I was a Christian, I remember vividly that the Holy Spirit kept saying, Ashley, Ashley. And I, I said out once, no, leave me alone. This is fun. Let me do it. Because the Holy Spirit, God was with me the whole time telling me, Ashley, nudging me um, and convicting me. But I wouldn't listen. And I still, even though the Lord has forgiven me and he's brought me to this great place, I, it, it still breaks my heart what a terrible mom I was. And how it impacted every person in my life because I chose to listen to what the world wanted me to do. And it all came to a head one day where everything just came crashing down. I remember driving in my car in the country, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. Hear my voice, God, as I call out to you. I can't do this anymore, and I would need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. You have to be priority. I called Matt that day, and I said, because um, I'd filed for divorce, I said, I don't, I don't want to divorce you. God has not been number one in our lives. He has not been the love of our life that he was. And I am going to put him back where he belongs. If you want to be a part of that, please do. And he started crying too and said, yes, I do. And we met with Rory, and for several months, we just brought back our love life with Jesus and put him back where he belongs. And so in this verse 1, the Lord hears us. He heard me. And it's by his grace today that I'm here in the direction he's given me in my life. 
In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I just wanted to give a little side note here that the Lord hears us and his answers may not always be yes, unfortunately. Fortunately, for God, he knows. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. I often find it's not yet, and I'm working on patience. Um, The other thing, and I really like this um, in a study we did about Beth Moore, because often people, times people are going through trials and they're crying out to the Lord and he hears them. But sometimes we can be delivered from the fire and our faith is built. Sometimes we are delivered through the fire. We may experience and go through something really difficult and our faith is refined. Or we can de- be delivered by the fire and our faith is perfected and we're delivered straight into the loving arms of our Savior. In verse 2, the Lord listens to us. I love this. He, this is more intimate, an intimate picture of God. He bends down to listen. It's careful. It's deliberate consideration. This intimacy with a loving God creates a relationship with the psalmist where he wants to have communion with God for the rest of his life. I think of it when my children come up to me and they're wanting to stop with me and I'm bending over to listen. It's that intimate bond as I'm listening to what they say and I'm considering it. So does Jesus do that with us? He's listening and leaning in, our loving Father. In verses 3 through 6, the psalmist writes about who God is, this character of God that he experienced through this whole ordeal. And I I liked this CSB's translation of it. And they're very specific about the ways that they listed who God is. The Lord is gracious. Man, do I know that. God is so gracious. Again, I never in my wildest thoughts or dreams did I ever imagine I would preach. That's just something I never thought I would do, ever. And because of God and me crying out to him and putting him in the right spot, he has led me on a path. And I'm willing to follow. And I still don't know what he has planned for me. I just got back from a missions trip in Africa and I'm up here preaching. Um, I don't know where it's going to lead. But I'm so thankful of where I'm at today because of him and his grace. Because I certainly don't deserve it. Ephesians 4, 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what a gift it is. The next character of Christ is he's righteous. In Psalm 145, 17, it said, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his deeds. I'm so glad we have a God that's righteous. We are created in his image, and that's so great. Because as we build this bond with Jesus, we start to to reflect who Jesus is. And we get to reflect that righteousness. The Lord is compassionate. Psalm eighty six fifteen. But you, O Lord, are God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Now, I, I struggle with compassion and empathy. My mom tells me that when she's sick. And I'm like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm kind of logical at sometimes. And um, going to Africa was really good for me. 
the Lord knew that that was an area in my life that I needed some growth on. And boy, did I see a lot of things there. And boy, did he tug on my heartstrings. And I'm still working on compassion and empathy. But I'm so thankful that that's an area in my life that God knows and he's hollowing out and saying, this, Ashley, this is what we're working on. It's so great that he knows that about each one of us and what specifically it is that we need to work on and that he's going to shape and mold and make you a remarkable person and, and, and his child. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is our guardian. He watches over us and gives us his tender care. In Isaiah 41, 10 through 12, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. Uh, When we were going to Africa, um, as I was doing my research all about Sierra Leone and everything, it's actually rated kind of um, higher in terms of countries that aren't super safe. Um, But not once when I was there did I feel unsafe. God sent us there, and he was our guardian. He was protecting us. He kept us safe. We were there to do his work. And so in this country that people are like, oh, you're going to Sierra Leone? I never felt unsafe. God was there protecting us, guarding us, and sending us on his mission to do his work. God is our resting place. And this verse was my rima, my word from God in this whole passage. God is our resting place. When we feel troubled or anxious, we can rest in God. He is our security. He is the place where we can feel unthreatened and be truly at rest. I'm going to go over the second part of the psalm real quick, and then I'm going to kind of go into how we can experience God's grace and rest. So the second part of the psalm, verses 12 through 19, is the psalmist's response to who God is. In verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for all that he has done for me? William Gurnall says, as partial obedience is not good, so partial thanks are worthless. An honest soul would not conceal any debt he has to God, but calls upon itself to give an account for all his benefits. The skipping over of one note in a lesson may spoil the grace of the music. Unthankfulness for one mercy disparages our thanks for the rest. The psalmist through this section, this last section, is lifting his voice to praise God in a public setting. I loved all the worship we did this morning because it really tied in with this part of us lifting our voices to thank God. And the psalmist isn't doing this to bring attention to himself, but rather to draw attention to God. He is stressing the importance of public worship, which encourages others to worship publicly. I don't know if you remember, some of you that are here when Roy was here, he talked about uh, this passage where C.S. Lewis, as he was becoming a Christian, he was like, why, why would anyone want to worship a God that demands it? It seems kind of needy, don't you think? Why does, he's God, why does he need our worship? And um, I like to buy thrift books, I have tons of books, and um, this one has seen better days, but I love 
my little splurge here on why you should get thrift books. I love seeing the people that have owned it before me in their little notes. It's kind of a fun little glimpse into to another person and the things they highlight. This one has a lot of that. And the pages are falling out. But I found that section. This is called C.S. Lewis Reflection on the Psalms. I found that section in there that talks about it. So I wanted to read it for you because I just think it's such a great perspective. The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and not have anyone to share it with. So it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you have some amazing food, something delicious, and you're enjoying it, and you want to tell the chef, oh, this is so good. You're amazing. This hamburger was phenomenal. And then you want to tell your friends to go to this restaurant and try said delicious hamburger, right? Not that I'm comparing God to a hamburger or the chef, but that's kind of the point he's making here. We love God. We found something amazing, and we want to worship him. We want to tell people about who God is. And I love that. That perspective is so great. Um, Verse 15 kind of struck with me specifically this last week because I lost my childhood pastor. Um, He went to be with Jesus. Verse 15 says, The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. In King James Version, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. In different text translations, that word precious is translated to honorable. And um, again, another book that I was reading through, I really liked the insight. This is by Charles Spurgeon. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. They shall not die prematurely. They shall be immortal till their work is done. And when their time shall come to die, then their deaths shall be precious. The Lord watches over their dying beds, smooths their pillows, sustains their hearts, and receives their souls. Those who are redeemed with precious blood are so dear to God that even their deaths are precious to him. And this is the part I I really liked. The deathbeds of saints are very precious to the church. She often learns much from them. They are very precious to all believers who delight to treasure upon the last words of the departed, but they are most of all precious to the Lord Jehovah himself, who views the triumphant deaths of his gracious ones with sacred delight. I like that because when our loved ones die, like my pastor who passed away, they have an impact on the church. I was thinking about uh, Peter's sermon last week, and he talked about Mr. Jacobson and some of the verses he'd shared with him. And that legacy is still there. Jesus, even though our people that we love are home with Jesus, he still is able to use them and their legacy to impact the church and grow it, even after they're gone. And I think that's so great. So, finally, ways to experience grace and rest. 
Philip Nation said, everything that the world says will give your life meaning is strapped to the busyness of endless labor. Resting in the Lord and his provisions is the antidote to a life that is never satisfied. The first thing is true rest is only found in the presence of God. I just got back from the Oregon coast last night. It was phenomenal. I ate a lot of crab. I love crab. My family doesn't like to watch me eat crab. It's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, it's bad. We can't go to Red Lobster. They tell me how terrifying it is. I really just need, like, a giant bib and a bucket because I just I snap the stuff. There's meat flying everywhere. It's, it's so good. Um, so I really enjoyed my vacation because we went crabbing and I had a ton. Uh, that's really why I'm wearing a dress because my pants were too tight after all that crab. <laughs> But while my vacation was nice and I enjoyed it, it was only a type of surface-level rest. True rest restores our souls and brings us into close relationship with our Savior. It's a time to take time and be with God in his word and pray with him, experience that he is our daily bread and living water. We get so bogged down with work and our daily duties and responsibilities, walking away from those things sometimes is an act of faith. It's hard to... to let go of work or some of those things and set time away from God, but we need to trust in him that he has a plan, and it's going to be okay. You can set some of that aside because God needs to be first. Instead of focusing so much on trying to earn in our lives, we need to take time to receive from God. Resting in the Lord means placing your faith and identity in his provision physically and eternally. The second thing is be intentional about preparing to rest. Plan and incorporate margins of rest into your schedule. We still have responsibilities in our lives that we need to do. It's just the way it is. I heard a quote that said, rest without work is just laziness. Uh, It's important that we're diligent to do these things and get them done so we can set a time specifically to rest in the Lord. Not everyone's going to have the same rest day. It's going to be different. I'm a teacher, so I could set aside my Sabbath or rest day to be on the weekend. My husband's schedule changes all the time, so his might rotate. You need to tailor it for what works for you. Um, In teaching, we look at where we want kids to be at the end of the year, and then we plan from that point. It's called backward planning. And that kind of struck my mind as I was thinking about this. We need to look at our day of rest and put that first, and then backward plan our schedule around that. Jesus needs to be first. So look at that day and what works, and then plan the rest of your week and your responsibilities around it. Even in biblical times, they had a day of preparation to get all their things done so that they could rest in Sabbath with the Lord. In Luke 23, 54, it says, This was done late on a Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. The third thing is, tailor your rest day to refresh you personally. I enjoy being with people and participating in outdoor recreation. Some people might just like to sit at home and curl up with a book. You want it to be an intentional day of rest about you want it to be intentional about a day of rest for you, but it doesn't mean you have to sit in a room by yourself and read your Bible all day. You can. That's perfectly fine. But I think there's sometimes we get stuck in this thing that it has to look a certain way and we have to just sit and and be in a little closet praying and reading our Bible all day to be in rest with God, and that's not what it has to look like. I know it's hard to believe, but you know you can actually walk somewhere and be talking to Jesus at the same time. It's okay. You can do it. 
So tailor your rest day to fit you. I can still glorify God and worship him while I'm enjoying the outdoors and spending time with my family and friends. Taking time to Sabbath and fill our buckets with Jesus actually helps us to be more fruitful at work. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of prayer time um, and kind of surrounding the word of shalom. And oftentimes when people think of the word shalom, they think of peace. Which, yeah, but it's more than that. It means completion, fullness, or wholeness. It is an environment intended to nurture a more wholesome and meaningful relationship between two parties. I want you to shalom with Jesus. And so as we do this time of prayer and listening, I want you to close your eyes or get in whatever posture best that you can listen well to God. You can just close your eyes and listen to what I'm saying and pray it to the Lord. God of rest, I opt for you and align myself with you today. Give me the quiet strength to defy control and anxiety, maybe even entertainment too, and instead help me to fully enter rest. I trust you, and I welcome your presence and your peace, your shalom today. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. I want you to ask God today, what is one way, Lord, that I can practice resting in you this week? Holy Father, I thank you that you are a God of rest. What a gift that is, that we can have rest in you. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.